You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Here's to the adventure-seeking dog mushers out there. The hundreds of you who stand on the runners dreaming and thinking about the northern lights. Of course, there is something else you can do if you've got something to say. Start a podcast with First Palm Media and harness your creative side. Maybe even earn enough money. Enough money to tell yourself, hey, I'm not just a dog musher. I'm a rover. I'm a wanderer. I'm a voyager. I'm an explorer. Visit firstpaw.media. Mush on over today. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio, hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert Forto. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Robert and you're listening to Mushing Radio here on KVRF 89.7 in the Matsu Valley. RadioFreePalmer.org is our live streaming site. You can find all of our episodes over on firstpaw.media. Search us out on social media using the same name and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast where we are on all of the apps and we are continuing with part three, episode three of... The Underdogs on Outside In Radio, Outside In Podcast, a part of New Hampshire Public Radio Productions. And boy, what a story it has become. If you have not had a chance (laughs) to listen to The Underdogs, search for it on uh, your favorite podcast app and do us a favor and listen to episode one and episode two of our recap of The Underdogs and uh, press pause and we'll be here when you get back. I am joined today by my co-hosts, Tony and Michelle, and we are jumping into episode three. It is titled, You Sell Your Soul, and I have a lot to add to that title in a little while. But if you recall, if you listen to the episode, this is about the point where Kurt Pirano and his handler crew or whomever pick up the dogs from the Dewclaw Kennel in Fairbanks, make their way down to Los Angeles to a place called Jet Pets. It is a flying service to fly pets and other dogs uh, all over the world. That's is, This is their primary business, pretty much located right near uh, the very busy airport down there. So in no ways uh, equipped to take care of a brood of sled dogs, which they literally had dumped on them pretty much at a moment's notice and they showed up and uh, they were sled dogs. They were dirty. They were stinky. They were wild. They were not the cute little golden retriever that I'm sure mostly gets flied, flown from jet pets to wherever else in the world. But I had no idea that it was this expensive to fly dogs out to other countries as it was. And I say that Mm -hmm. because Michelle and I, we fly dogs all the time as part of our work with our business, Alaska Dog Works. People are flying dogs in and out. As a matter of fact, uh, we had a dog just arrived the other day from Phoenix, Arizona, and I think it just cost a couple hundred bucks to do that. And our buddy Jeremy flew his dog Timber out uh, from Maine. He jumped on a flight with him. And uh, Timber and Jeremy spent the last few days with us, and it cost $100 to ship out Timber uh, as as cargo with Jeremy. But these dogs, it was going to cost 100 
and $27,000. And I think there was just nine dogs at the time. I could be mistaken there. You, you are. I'll help you fix that in just a second. $127,000. <laughs> that is almost the amount that we paid for our property up here in Willow more than a decade ago to fly these dogs home. So, of course, it only gets deeper from here. Uh, this is a story that uh, has more twists and turns than uh, the psychological thr thrillers that you and I watch on Netflix, <laughs> Michelle. And since I allowed you, or I allowed, since you went first last time, <laughs> Michelle, I'm going to turn it over to Tony. What is your recap of episode two? And then we'll chat about it. I mean, episode three. Episode three, yes. <laughs> um, at, by this point in in listening, you know this is the final episode. But I I think I even texted you while I was listening to it, going, I just don't understand the logic. I don't understand, you know, owing Jody and Dan so much money and then finally paying it. Only to drive the Alcan to drive all the way down to LA. That is not a fun drive if you are trying to book it, which I'm sure, you know, they didn't just saunter down to LA. You have all of these sled dogs that you clearly don't want to take care of. You want everybody else to take care of. So, you know, it's it's not a fun drive when you're doing it that way, but I don't understand why you pay the $42,000 to Jody. I don't understand why you stiff Jamie Nelson to begin with. Then you end up paying $42,000 to Jody and Dan. During this time, you're back home in New Zealand and your dogs are in Marvel movies uh, beating up the Hulk, I guess. And then you're back here driving your dogs to L.A., to then dump them off in a boarding facility that's only supposed to board, I assume, short term while they are getting the paperwork in order to ship your dogs out. I don't understand the mentality. You already are trying to pull off this whole facade of, oh, we're just down on our luck because people are dying and my wife has brain tumors and then doesn't have brain tumors and then her butt has brain tumors or whatever her stupid excuse is. And, and I'm not trying to make light of someone who actually has all of it. I've been in situations where your life just snowballs. I get that. But this is clearly, I mean, it went on for four or five years from start to finish, maybe even longer if you count the time that you know, I think it was 2018, 20, yeah, 2018 when uh, they forgot to pay Jamie for her dogs. It, it just, it, it, I cannot understand the logic of it all. It, it really just so confused me. And then for Nate to, you know, talk to a colleague down there in New Zealand, asking him, hey, can you just go by the kennel and see if they'll talk to you and answer a few questions? You know, it wasn't even like an American is coming to ambush these New Zealanders. He went and found somebody that maybe they could trust to, to be fair to them. And all Fleur says is it's all lies. How is it all lies? You have left not only a digital trail with your emails and texts to Jody, who is not stupid and kept all of that. But I mean, I just don't understand it. Uh, yeah. 
Uh, <laughs> and, and we're going to talk about that in a little while. So guys that are listening, our plan is to sort of talk our our way through this episode. And, and before we end, we're going to give a recap. <laughs> Every one of us is going to give an overall recap of what we think of the series. Should you listen? Uh, what do you think of the reporting? All of that will end the episode there. So please bear with us with that. So Michelle, before I turn it over to you, we are not 100% unsure what's happening here. We have had dealings with flying service dogs to New Zealand, the very spot where these dogs were going to end up. We have a very good friend and client that has uh, a service dogs that we trained up here in Alaska and flew, I don't recall, was male or a female before we... She flew her dog back and forth between New Zealand and Alaska several quite, times quite often because she is a dual citizen and she lives there six months out of the year. She lives in New Zealand on the good time to live in New Zealand, which I guess is the opposite of now. <laughs> I guess they they spend their their our winters here. They spend down there because it's a flip flop. But anyway, uh, we have flown dogs to New Zealand and it's not something that can take. And I say this because it's not something that takes months to do. Uh, well, you, it does take a little bit of time because when they stop in Hawaii for their layover, you have to not only have a rabies vaccination and all of the other vaccinations, but you have to have blood work that is called uh, the rabies titer. And you can only get the titer by sending blood work back to uh, a place in kansas believe it or not that checks to see how much of the vaccine is in the dog's blood new zealand also requires this so yeah so let's jump into this on your side michelle uh you and i did not get a chance to listen to this one together we listened to the first two uh together and talked a little bit about them afterwards but uh i listened to this last week i actually listened to it in a panera bread my remote office away from home when i'm in seattle and i spend a heck of a lot of time there over the last six months and i'm not too proud of that but anyway uh i listened to this uh away from you so i didn't know what your take was on this i'm interested to hear what you have to say well you know what i have to say is that this is pretty dang disgusting all around um they so the dogs were basically stuck at jet pets for a couple of different reasons three of them that left right away left right away because they had the most up-to-date paperwork basically and those three that left just happened to be Lance Mackey's dogs that Kurt really wanted they immediately were flown back to New Zealand for breeding purposes according to the show. So that there's no if, ands, or buts about it. Robert was dead on saying what you said about the fact that there was money to be had just in the breeding of these dogs alone, whether they could run or not. They could definitely do tour runs, but they were no longer competitive. But that doesn't mean that their bloodline was not competitive. It was. In the end, you know, uh, the Jet Pets people were just outgunned by these people. They were taken advantage of. They have a boarding facility there. Part of the fees were the $127,000 in fees was not just the flight fees. It was the boarding fees, the handling fees. They charge you for boarding, handling, 
and then the flight fees. So I'm guessing that they had to purchase crates. It was multiple flights. It wasn't just one plane taking nine dogs or or whatever. It ended up being nine dogs that were left um, to be rehomed. Um, but there were 12 dogs after the first three left. So there's 12 dogs. They're not going to put all 12 dogs on one flight. Airlines don't like doing that. They typically can accommodate no more than three dogs on a flight. And so they... And I know a lot of you guys don't know this, but I know this because of what I do for our, our, our business. Um, so they would have had to charter multiple different flights. They're going to leave LA. They're going to hopscotch over um, in Hawaii. There's going to be a layover there because of the, um, they don't fly dogs more than six hours. So they'll, they'll lay them over in Hawaii um, and then they'll fly them out to New Zealand. So it, it's a, it's a long process. And that's partly why the fees were so high. Again, I'm going to come back to $127,000. Uh, just from our experience, a health certificate cost about $50. Uh, a rabies certificate is about $10. A crate is about $100. And let's say that the flights are only based on weight and these dogs are about 75 pounds-ish or so. That's probably about $500 for the cargo flight. Yeah, so and that would be on the higher side. That would be on the higher end. But hey, I'm not discounting JetPets' uh, business model whatsoever. Uh, they can charge whatever they want if people are, are willing, and I say that uh, in bold, are willing and able, even more bold, to pay mm -hmm. for that. I think that that is a very important part of this. But as these dogs were down there, and I don't recall exactly how far, how long they were there, but eventually they figured out at Jet Pets, it was just a sort of a mom and pop type business. This was not some big time operation going on that the handlers and, you know, the workers of the Jet Pets had to do something with these dogs. They were going crazy in these kennels. They had never been inside before. They had never been cooped up in kennels before. And kennels meaning kennel runs, not necessarily crates. But eventually they had to get these guys out and exercising them. They, they didn't know how to walk on leashes, which is typical for sled dogs. They didn't get along well with others. So... Uh, those guys worked really hard, and that's where those handling fees come involved, I guess. And they really did a, a bunch of work with these guys, and it really helped out in the end. And that's sort of the the uh, the happy ending to the story that we're going to talk about in a little bit. But I'm thinking about the price of the dogs. And before I show you my hand, if we're thinking about poker, uh, <laughs> right now we're at about eighteen-ish uh, thousand dollars for Jamie take into this about uh 40-ish thousand i guess to uh dewclaw kennel and then we're at about 127 ish thousand dollars to jet pets so we are at well, about you haven't even crested the other people that have been screwed over some other woman is out fifty thousand dollars that did handling for them that was from australia i mean there's a plethora of people that got burned so let's say that we're close to $200,000 just to Jamie, Dan, and Jody, and the Jet Pets folks. So that is a lot of money 
for a group of dogs. And not to tip my hand, as I said, but I know that there are sled dogs out there from some very well-known kennels. We mentioned Lance Mackey, and I'm thinking about some other big-time names in the sport. I've heard about $10,000 dogs and, and, and whatnot. And I always joke uh, with uh, Michelle and our good friend Miranda that we have our million-dollar dog down in the kennel. Her name is Ruby. Uh, she came pregnant with a group of puppies that have become the core of our team. We paid $6,000 for her, and that included all of the puppies. You just let that secret out of the bag because I, I didn't know. Yes. We, so we paid six. We paid six thousand dollars for Ruby uh, several years ago. I guess three or four years ago now. And guess what, guys? I, I'm going to 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 let this out of the bag, if you will. And I don't know if this will ever happen again. But we had a handshake deal with that. Uh, she said, "Yep." Uh, this is the price. And uh, I said, okay, that's expensive. Can I pay you in a few payments? Sounds eerily like uh, what we're talking about here. And she said, yes, you can. Here's my account number for the local bank. Head on down there when you can. Just text me and let, you, let me know when a deposit's been made. And true to my word, I paid her every month or whatever it was until Ruby was paid for. $6,000 is a lot of money for a dog, whether it's a sled dog or what. And it came from a very well-known kennel. So we're at $200,000-ish right now at this point in the story. And as Tony mentioned, they do get a reporter to show up uh, on the underdog's property there in New Zealand. They were quickly whisked away saying that we're not answering any questions. Absolutely not. Get off our property. Otherwise, we're going to call the cops. But eventually, at some point, just like they did in episode two, somehow or another, they ended up paying about $80,000 to Jet Pets and gave a drop-dead deadline saying, if you do not have the rest of the money here by, I believe it was Valentine's Day, we are going to start placing your dogs. They cannot stay here any longer. So they paid eighty-two grand, and uh, what happened next, Tony? And then they didn't get their dogs. <laughs> Why? I don't understand it. <laughs> Why pay the eighty-two thousand if you're not gonna come get your freaking dogs? Yeah, yeah, I, I don't I'm know. I don't know. Uh, uh, Michelle, <laughs> what are, what are your thoughts about uh, eighty-two grand to to Jet Pets, and then still not going to pick them up? I'm going to quote Jody and say simply the sport doesn't need fake rock stars. That's yeah, that was that was the key. I think that is the line. I'm going to use that as a soundbite uh, uh, teaser, whatever I'm going to use. I, I, I fully agree. Uh, just a quick musher perspective before we jump into our recap here. Uh, I, I know a lot of mushers fly internationally with dogs all the time uh, to place dogs or whatever. And often it's it's what we mentioned earlier in the series. You find out some folks that are traveling that way and the dog sort of hitchhikes its way along. You, mm -hmm. you put them in a crate, you, you fly them down to Seattle. It may take a couple of days to get all the all the work done and eventually may, they make their way. And I remember this happening a few years ago when Dallas CV ran 
over in Norway or Sweden, wherever the Finnmark yep. is. Norway. And he had to get a whole bunch of people together, a whole crew, if you will. It was mm-hmm. almost like moving racehorses around or something. He had people in Seattle that picked up his dogs that, that were flying him to New York. Then he had a, f- a couple other people that were flying him over to Norway and back and forth. Eventually he got, I, I think, most of his dog team. I think he took most of his team over to Norway to race and it just took a little bit of logistics and some you know some very uh good planning on flights and things to get and the dog great sponsor and a good sponsor of course there's nothing wrong with that but I, Keller. <laughs> yeah I wonder why and th- this is this is sort of the baffle I wonder why they didn't do that uh obviously these are, are quote unquote well-to-do people Obviously, they have money. Obviously, they had handlers and workers and whatnot that that worked with them uh, in in New Zealand. I don't think they burned every single bridge that they possibly could have burned, even though there's a really interesting story about somebody that used to work with them or be friends with them or something that, that does not hold them in high regard any longer. But why in the world couldn't they just give those guys a flight, a round-trip flight to L.A.? It's about $1,600 round or, or one way. So a $3,000 ticket to get somebody here from New Zealand to LA. Put them in as cargo for a few hundred dollars and fly them home. You've already paid 80 plus thousand dollars for these dogs to get home. Why didn't they work it out just like we talked about with Dallas? So that's sort of the question we're going to end with. Uh, the series ends by... Um, by all of the dogs, or the remaining dogs, if you will, being placed. And there was a happy ending. Some of these dogs were placed with one of the handlers that we heard, I believe was in episode one. Uh, One of the handlers there uh, took a dog or two. Am I mistaken there, uh, Tony? I believe that was the case, right? Um, Yeah, Jeff Fisher and his partner, they were handlers for Jody when this first started. And I think they worked at the kennel for a couple of years. Uh, Jeff was actually the one that kept pushing for Jody to tell her story. And she kept telling him, not until I know that these dogs have a happy ending. I'm not going to put any bad press on these dogs until I know that they are okay. Um, And so Jeff Fisher is one of the ones that really pushed for, I don't know if he's the one that, you know, called down and gave the, you know, the anonymous tip or whatever for outside in to, to do this story. But um, he has a few of the dogs. I know that Dutch Johnson and Julie, uh, there at August fund, they have at least one of the dogs um, because he posted after the series with an update to kind of, um, a lot of the people that have the, the rehome dogs, they've posted in response to this episode, the third episode, saying, yeah, Fleur says it's all lies, but I have her dog, mm. so it can't be all lies. They left the dogs here. Right. And they have, do- they have dogs that are still being highlighted for sponsorship mm-hmm. on that beautiful website. Yeah, that that that's what floors me. And that's sort of my take onto this in just a second. So I'm going to reserve that comment. But yeah, uh, the happy ending to this is uh, the dogs were placed and, uh, you know, they're, they're either being pet dogs. You know, remember, most of these dogs are now uh, mid-age or older dogs. I mean, these these guys cannot run Iditarod uh, next year with, with whomever. 
but they they can be wreck kennel dogs. They can still ski jor and bike jor and be adventure dog buddies and all sorts of stuff. So I'm sure that all of these guys are living the absolute best life that they can possibly live. And that truly is the happy ending to this that uh, all of us were just hoping for when we heard about it, uh, when we started talking about it on Iditarod. So let's do this, guys. I am going to have Tony go first. Tony, give us a recap. What do you think overall of the series? Uh, Do you think it was well-reported? Do you think it was well-balanced? Do you recommend it? And if you do, I would like you to give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down, and, uh, and then we'll go to Michelle and then myself. Go ahead, Tony. I, I really, en- I, I guess I shouldn't say enjoyed it because the story itself made me very angry for many, many reasons, both from the human aspect, because I know some of the players involved, but also from a fan's perspective of the sport, you know, like Jody said, we don't need fake rock stars in this sport. Kurt took so much advantage of this very giving community. Yeah, it's closed off. It doesn't trust. This is why people don't trust people. This is why we can't have nice things. But it it was a very good, I actually wish that it had been either longer or if the episodes themselves had been a little bit longer because I feel like there was so much more that was probably said that um, just for, you know, soundbite time or whatever, I'm sure they're like, us on the radio where they have only a few minutes that they're allowed to have these episodes. But I I kind of wanted to know more because we were jumping so quickly through, I mean, five years of, of this nightmare um, for, for their, the people they took advantage of, um, you know, and then it just, it made, uh, I'm still so angry just talking about it. I was doing fine until we started talking about it tonight. It just, it's, it's so, like I said, it's so mind-boggling. Like, I left the series kind of annoyed with Nate because he gave Kurt an out by saying that, you know, it, the title is Selling the Soul. You know, he was just so focused on Iditarod that he lost sight of the goal. No, he didn't. He hadn't been running the Iditarod. His last Iditarod was, what, 18? Not even 18, 15. He he left the dogs after he stopped running Iditarod, like, by years. So, no, no, that, this is not, this has nothing to do with wanting to be an Iditarod superstar at this point. This is just being a turd. This has nothing to do with the sport and everything to do with taking advantage of the people in the sport and in the, the community of mushing, the lifestyle. Um, they like the spotlight. So like Jody said, they're fake rock stars. They have nothing really to do with the sport other than what it can get them. And that's not Iditarod. That's not Yukon Quest. That's not the lifestyle of mushing. So I was a little annoyed with that, but overall, I, I give it a big thumbs up. This was better than any Dateline episode 2020. This was, this is, it was great um, investigative journalism. Uh, kudos to him for even trying to get the Piranos on record. I kind of wanted to punch Fleur in her face when she started talking about, you know, Jody being a liar, but that's just me and my personal bias. But it, it was, it was, I mean, obviously it struck an emotional chord with me. So 
um, I definitely think people need to give it a listen and just go in with an open mind, no, or not an open mind, but knowing what you know about mushers, um, about the sport, you know, just keep that in mind when they do start talking about certain things, because obviously not everyone's a turd like they are. Michelle? Addiction is a dark and scary thing, isn't it? People get addicted to the sport. They get addicted to the adrenaline rush. They get addicted to the dogs. And once you run those big races, it can become an addiction. You want more. You want to do it again. You like the uh, camaraderie. You like the spotlight. And because they were running in these big races from the other part of the world where they don't have a lot of races at all. It made them rock stars in their own country. And that is what they became addicted to. And I don't necessarily know what their uh, intentions were or were not with these dogs. I'm very glad that the dogs were given the right type of ambassadors to care for them through uh, Jody, the handlers, and even the people at Jet Pets that were in over their heads. All of them became great ambassadors to the dogs. doesn't matter if they're sled dogs or not any longer. They're dogs. These people are addicted to everything that comes from what Iditarod and Yukon Quest catapulted them into. And what is your, your rating? Thumbs up, thumbs down, sideways, and would you recommend? I recommend this. I recommend this for the mere fact that people need to become educated from all sides of this. So I definitely give it five stars, thumbs up, whatever you want to call it. It was a great educational piece. And while there are things in there that, that can and should anger us all, I don't feel that Nate did it in a bad way. I felt like he gave it a good light. Mm -hmm. I felt that Jody was mm -hmm. very um, forthwith and gave us all insight as to, hey, this happened to me and let's not let it happen to anybody else. And she's doing her due diligence to protect others. Albeit, I wish she would have done it a little sooner because it may have prevented other people from becoming harmed by these people and, and what they're doing. It doesn't make any sense to me. And as Dan said, you, you can't understand crazy. And there's a whole lot of crazy going on in our world right now, not just necessarily with our own dog mushing friends or foes. All right. So uh, to sort of end the show, I'm going to take this from a couple of different perspectives, uh, from a podcaster's perspective, as well as a dog mushers and a business owner's perspective. So first off, I have to give hats off to to Nate Hedgie and the New Hampshire Public Media or radio or whatever they're called up there. And I have to say, my goodness, what a a um, what a show to talk about. Uh, at, like we talked about first episode, the sweeps week of Iditarod. I think that uh, they did a masterful job. And I tell you what, when I uh, get a chance, I am going to uh, nominate, tell about whomever 
uh, that this show should be one of the top podcasts of the year. And I listen to a lot of podcasts about all sorts of subjects, science and technology and true crime and news and all of that. And this is not just because I'm a dog musher. I thought it was a very well-told story. It it appeared to be balanced. Uh, Nate went into it uh, as a good reporter should. He tried to dot all the I's and cross all the T's. He reached out to as many people as he possibly could. I I would imagine this was one heck of a project and I have no idea where they got the budget for this uh, with a little uh, public radio station. Those guys are uh, giving coffee cups out for crying out loud if you'll give them $25. So I don't know where they got the budget, but they got it done. I think it was uh, definitely uh, a, a good idea to go on the outside for a reporter from this, as I mentioned in episode one or two, that it should have been somebody from outside, not somebody with their boots on the ground, if they will, uh, here in Alaska, it, it it allowed for a little bit more of a balanced coverage. And I remember when I was listening to one of the other episodes of Outside In podcast, it was sometime around Thanksgiving-ish or something, and Nate came on one of the episodes and he said, I am freezing my butt off in Alaska for a very important story, but I cannot let the cat out of the bag yet. But here is your top uh, 10 reasons why you should drink hot chocolate in the backcountry or something like that, that they did their episode. I remember Michelle and I were listening to that on one of our road trips. But anyway, I thought it was very, very well done. And I think that um, that uh, he did a great job. So from a business perspective, uh, I'm going to hold off on that for just a second. From a musher's perspective, as I said in these other episodes, I've seen deals like this go down over the last 30 years. I don't think I can ever recall anything that got out of hand like this. But mushers being mushers, they did what they do. They they will lend a helping hand and help out. I remember in our times of need, when we needed people to step up, I recall when we had uh, one of the evacuations for one of the fires here. Uh, we had friends and family here that helped us out. A fellow musher friend allowed us to stay at his place for a week uh, while we tried to figure out if our house was going to burn down. So this happens. It happens in our community. Most often it ends in an amicable result. Uh, I don't think of any story I've ever heard ended up like this, uh, where hundreds of thousands of dollars are owed. But as I said in the other episodes, so many of these deals are handshake deals. Uh, well, you board my dog for a month for X dollars. Would you like to buy uh, a litter of puppies for X dollars? Would you be willing to rehome one of my dogs for me because I'm down and out? Whatever. Uh, can you lend me a hand because I cannot afford dog food this month? Whatever the reason is, often the mushing community will step up. Lastly, in terms of being a business owner, I do not know, and I have beat my head against the table so many times trying to figure out how to make the numbers work here. If you're $200,000 into this, and at the time, it was nine dogs, that is what? Uh, <laughs> 15 dogs. 15 dogs. Well, that is about, uh, how much is that? Uh, $115,000 or so a dog is what these are worth. And remember earlier in this episode, I said that some of the highest highbrow kennels, some of the biggest names in the sport are selling dogs for 10 ish thousand dollars. And we've talked to several 
uh, Iditarod finishers already this year who have uh, bought, leased, purchased whatever they've done with Iditarod dogs after they finished the races this year. And I cannot think of any of them that spent $10,000, $15,000, $20,000 per dog. So I do not know how it makes sense. Even if they were uh, Lance Mackey line dogs, if you have $15,000 invested in a pretty old dog at this point, probably eight, nine years old, even a female, uh, their breeding capacity is almost up. I would imagine the males can continue on for a few years, but I just don't know how it's going to make sense money-wise to make back the money that they paid in, that they paid $40,000 to the to the Duclaw, $82,000 to Jet Pets. So $122,000 was paid out that somebody got in their account for what? Three dogs? Is that what they got? So they paid $122,000 for three dogs. That just not make sense. So I have Plus no... whatever they paid to Lance Mackey to get those dogs to begin with. Yeah, whatever they paid originally. So if they paid $10,000 well, yeah. to, to Lance. Well, I invite everyone to take a look at their website because that's the reason right there. What does it say to the, end the show? The, the, there's an entire page about their race team, New Zealand's only Iditarod and Yukon Quest race team, which is true. But it goes on and on and on and on about what all of their races and their race history this is how they get people in new zealand off of those cruise ships just like we do here to come and do a tour and Mm -hmm. the last sentence pretty much on the page says since 2019 we retired from racing in north america interesting that's new because that was not on there a few days ago so they know they know what's happening, and uh, we're not uh, we're not uh, slandering anybody or harboring or whatever the word disparaging anybody whatsoever. They had their chance to speak, and I welcome them. Uh, I would uh, take it in with open arms to do an interview with Kurt and Fleur. So this is a call. If you're interested in talking and telling your side, if you don't want the 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 quote unquote big budget of New Hampshire Public Radio. Come on to our podcast. Uh, we have a heck of yeah, a lot of listeners. We're, we're right here in Willow, Alaska, where they claim they used to stage. Yeah, we have a lot of listeners <laughs> in New Zealand. Uh, quite a few, actually. One of our top markets for mushing radio. So, guys that are listening in New Zealand, uh, let us know what the uh, the Piranos are up to. So, one last thing I'm going to end with here. Uh, we had talked about the mushing lifestyle throughout this, and uh, Michelle can attest to this as much as I can. I've been involved with this for three decades, and I've seen just about every type of uh, mushing lifestyle that there is, all the way from the mono kennels with one dog that's running in Canacross to the bike joring superstars around the world to Iditarod and Yukon Quest and distance kennels down to expedition kennels and teaching kennels like we. We have and sprint mushers and wreck mushers and you know pet dogs with a sled in the garage and the whole nine yards. I have seen it over and over, and I say that because this is such a small community, but there is so much passion 
that happens in this community. There are so many stories to be told. We've been telling these stories for 12 freaking years uh, about mushing, and this is the first time we've ever gone into the underbelly, if you will, of dog mushing and really called somebody out. I have made it a point for 12 years. Well, that's not exactly true. Yes, we we have. No, there was a Canadian guy that we did call out because we sold him a dog. But we have never mentioned by name anybody in a negative light any time on uh, on these podcasts. But we have done another underbelly show. But uh, what, 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 uh, what should people take from this? First off, go listen. I giving it an enthusiastic thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Find out where it, you can listen on whatever podcast app you're listening to on the same one you're listening right now. Subscribe to it. Nate and and his crew of reporters do an excellent job. If you enjoy the outdoors, check it out. They're not all these expose type <laughs> episodes. They do a lot of fun <laughs> stuff on there. They play games and they answer questions, the science moment of, of why do beavers build dams and stuff like that. They do some really great reporting over there. It's a really fun show and I'm glad to have found those guys and we talk a lot on Twitter back and forth about podcasting sometimes. So definitely check it out. Definitely, definitely subscribe. And I again, I urge you to end the episode. My New Zealand listeners, you know who you are. Uh, I've interviewed a couple of New Zealand mushers, mostly in the sprint world. Let us know what your take is on this. We'd be really anxious to hear. And lastly, please subscribe to our show. Let your family and friends know about it. And if you like what we're doing, go on over to patreon.com dash slash firstpawmedia and share the love. And as we said, New Hampshire Public Radio will send you out a t-shirt or a coffee mug. We will do the same thing, but at the $25 level, I'm sounding like PBS, we will send you a batch of Idita cookies handmade by our very own Tony right here on the podcast. She will whip up a batch of whatever flavor of your choosing and decorate them really fancy as well. So definitely check that out. We are always on during the off season. We will be back every other week. And boy, do we have a lineup. We've already interviewed the Iditarod champion, Ryan Reddington. We have interviewed the Iditarod Red Lantern winner, uh, Jason Mackey. We have just interviewed tonight, as we recorded this episode, we interviewed the Rookie of the Year, Eddie Burke. Uh, We're going to talk to Hunter Keefe probably tomorrow or the next night. And we have a whole bunch of other episodes lined up, including Jed Stevenson from Idaho and a whole bunch of others that I cannot recall since we've already been recording for about four hours what I see. <laughs> so so with that, I am Robert on behalf of my co-host Tony and Michelle. We will see you guys next time. Goodbye. From Dog Works Radio, this is Mushing Radio. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we invite you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. Your host is Robert Forto. Our producers are Michelle Forto, Alex Stein, and Tony Ryder. Our executive producer is Robert Forto. Created for DogWorks Radio and First Paw Media.